Hubhopper Originals. relationship between art and economy Last November David Hockney's painting Portrait of an Artist a pool with two figures fetched a shocking 90.3 million US dollars at its auction breaking the record for the highest bid to a living artist's work Now if you wanted a print of this painting and didn't care much about the legality you could just look it up on Google get it printed on some nice thick paper for less than 100 bucks and happily frame it in your house Even if you were averse to breaking laws, you could manage a legal print of many paintings and get much of the same feeling. Then why do people pay huge sums for a painting which they can get at a much cheaper price? What is it about paintings that make many people so comfortable with dishing out huge sums of money without blinking an eye? What gives art this value? Focusing on utility is how we often perceive value. It is why it seems right that luxury cars cost so much. Being crows for a swanky mansion makes sense too. One can live in its comfort and style. But what does art offer us? We can't wear, live in, drive or eat it, and yet millions of dollars are being spent on art, and it baffles us. So let's try to understand why some value art at these mind-boggling numbers. While attaching a price tag, many artists take into consideration the production cost and the time they put into the work. That is the simplest answer. but it's not even close to the end of it there are many kinds of thumb rules in the game an oil painting will cost more than say a pencil sketch because of the durability factor similarly a colored sketch is likely to be priced higher than a black and white one quality is also an important factor sure a piece may not emotionally resonate with everyone on the same level but the artist's skill in using a particular medium is something on which consensus can be achieved After the basics however we enter the more complicated primary markets of established artists work being brought from galleries or the secondary markets of auction houses from here it drifts a little from the subjective aesthetic aspects of the work to more of compiling data from dealers analysts curators auction houses etc so what's at the heart of the price any introductory economics class will lead you to the two magic words supply and demand Art is usually pricey because what has significant culture value and is prized by many is always low in supply. There is only one Mona Lisa, no matter what we do about it, we can't change the fact that there is only one of it. There isn't just about originality, however, rarity increases value as well. Let's take the example of the iconic work of the pop artist Andy Warhol. Warhol called his studio the factory and made many seemingly identical works. Even though he was an immensely popular figure, Warhol's work wasn't as expensive as one would expect since people thought that his work had many copies. Later it was revealed that each work was unique with slight variations in color and size and this made the prices rise again. Each of the pieces were now much rarer. Any trends that affect the market forces to affect the price. For instance, the new wealth in oil-rich Arab countries led to more Middle Eastern collectors interested in Middle Eastern art, and this trend led to the price increase of Islamic art throughout the world. If we were to list all the different factors in setting a price for a painting, 
it would come down to things like the artist sales and exhibition history the stage of the artist career the condition and size of the work and its production cost but the story is in something that can be boiled down to an exact formula in fact there are many other factors at play here such as the historical significance of the artwork how the particular piece ties into the rest of the artist's work and the popularity of the artist and the recognizability because if you did own a van co but nobody at your dinner party noticed then what was the point even okay okay you must be thinking i get how all these people are coming to the conclusions in prizing art but i don't understand why they choose to buy it well there is a reason here too say hello to art as a financial instrument and maybe even art as a way to say i am too rich because while all billionaires can buy the same porsche bentley or maserati they can't all have the same raja ravi varma when we compare the availability of art as a financial instrument we can observe that it's not really a part of the global economy for everyone it is a part for a very small subset of the super rich nicknamed by some economists as the ultra high new worth individuals and as the subset grows their money they're able to afford more and more owning art is often a way for this group to signal their wealth the ultra rich don't just buy art to keep up appearances however it's also an increasingly common way among them to diversify their investment portfolio in fact there is an interesting practice among the wealthy to collateralize the art they own to receive loans for their projects an intersection of art and real estate is also observed In a research study conducted by an estate agency, Knight Frank, it has been observed that a tiny show home is typically expected to display art that's worth over $500,000, proving that property sellers rely on art pieces to increase the overall value of a property. The art market is a pretty unique place. The prices, unlike those of stocks, reflect many non-financial intangibles, such as the joy of owning a painting. And owning a painting isn't the perfect investment at all. an art collector must pay to protect their investments and there are no dividends or the easy tradability of a stock market few artists have long term value an interesting thing is that while previous sales can help determine the value of the work the art world isn't quite fond of frequent sales artworks are optimally sold when there's high demand and people prefer for the works to go to a museum or stay in the hands of a private sector Say if I had a Monet and decided to sell it at a time when there isn't high demand for it, not only would my sale fetch me a lower price, but also everyone who owns a Monet now has an asset that is valued less. It is in the collective interest of the art world to sort of discourage too much trading, unlike in the financial markets. Here is a recent example that throws light on trading of art pieces. Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi was sold for 450.3 million US dollars and is now in Louvre, Abu Dhabi. The arrangement behind the Salvatore Mundi is such that it's in the collection of the Department of Culture and Tourism and will be on long-term loan to Louvre Abu Dhabi. After its initial unveiling in Abu Dhabi, it will travel to Paris at the original Louvre for its Leonardo show in October 2019, marking the 500th anniversary of the artist's death. This will mark a new relationship between Abu Dhabi and Paris with the UAE loaning works to Europe rather than the other way around. Now, we cannot comment on the ease of trade in this case because it will be traded between two parties only for a short period of time as per their contract but will be permanently kept in Abu Dhabi afterwards. So, is this a financial instrument in this case? In one case it follows a contract but on the other hand it's not tradable after a fixed date. 
Art isn't close to being the ideal financial instrument, but there is no dearth of creative ways in which the rich use it to benefit, whether in the form of collateralizing, using them as capital safe habits, or to save themselves from taxation. Now, when you dig more about how art is valued, it raises another interesting question. How does art fit into the feature of a market good? Art is both non-rival and non-excludable, which makes it technically a public good. When a good is rivalous and I consume it, you cannot consume it again as I use it up. And when a good is excludable and I consume it, I will be stopping you from consuming it. Market goods like cars, fruits, etc. would fall into this. But art, as discussed earlier, is both non-rival and non-excludable and it falls as a public good. But something else is missing. If art is public good, then it should probably be financed and supplied by the government, right? Art was financed by government in a sense for a long time. Kings and palaces patronized artists, sculptures and musicians. However, with the fall of state and rise of markets, the economics of art underwent some changes too. There's another section of goods that fit between a market good and a public good. These goods are called club goods. The name comes from the most common example of this type. Many social clubs that cater to wealthy restrict membership and charge high fees. Thus, by creating excludability but retaining non-rivalry, it is possible for a private enterprise to sell a public good for profit. This transition from public good to club goods is increasing in the art market, not just painting but also in other forms. Take music for example. Earlier, music was sold in records which was easy to profit from. However, when music sharing has become easier and cheaper, most musicians and bands are now earning mostly through concerts and intellectual rights. This led to a remark that earlier concerts were held to increase the sales of records, but now records are sold to increase the sale of concert tickets. Art has also imbibed this feature of excludability mainly through galleries and auctions. Art auctions are probably the literal manifestation of this excludability feature where each person desperately tries to be the sole owner of the good, that is the painting, and exclude everyone else. And given the factors, like the ones we discussed earlier, the marginal price of art is also very high. This combination of high excludability and high marginal value drives the price all the way up. In today's episode, we have talked a lot about why art costs so much, but even as we say it out loud, it doesn't seem to cover the whole picture. Most of us can't afford to have our favorite paintings hanging on our walls, no matter how much we love them. It feels strange that paintings are so expensive that they can be painting about poverty that costs hundreds of times what the World Bank's poverty line defines. Strange that art which is supposed to be so close to all of us can be picked up by the uber-rich and put into places like the Free Port Zone near Geneva city centre, where there are dull warehouses housing thousands of treasured and beloved paintings by the artists we've admired. They remain there because of the tax saving such places offer on the capital asset that art is to some. Maybe they make a sale to another rich person who decides to keep the art there as well. So now no one pays sales tax on the transaction and no one can see the paintings launched between other luxury items. These outwardly boring or inwardly fascinating warehouses store. Go look it up if you wish to. Of course, not all the art of the world occurs in these circles, but enough of it does for us to wonder. We risk sounding dramatic, but art does feel priceless, does it not? Not in the sense that it deserves to be ridiculously expensive, but in the sense that it connects with us on a personal level and feels somehow too pristine and sacred to have a price attached to it. Now as economic students, we are a little averse to looking upon price as a dirty word or a dirty concept, but the case of art brings us quite close to it. To put a number on it does seem to reduce it, because for once 
it isn't as simple as supply and demand it is so much more you must have heard of hockney's 90 million dollar painting before somewhere in a newspaper column declaring it for its unimaginable value and yet the painting is everything but a 90 million dollar painting it is a painting about hockney's familiar swiggly lines of paint that remind us of the strange way water moves and reflects light it is a painting about alienation it is a painting about desire it is a painting with 60s california sunniness it is a painting which is more than what it costs I hope you enjoyed this Hop Hopper original podcast. If you want to get started with your own show, please do get in touch. We'd love to have you on board. Send an email to info at hophopper.com. That's info at hophopper.com, and we'll get back to you in a flash. We're looking forward to creating some great audio content together.